on the last episode. The tides roam, the seas rise, all I do. Pouring at his dead phone, trying to figure out, trying to figure out if he just turned it off or if the battery's dead. Did you hear what that creature was saying? I think I took too many painkillers. <laughs> mayday! Repeat, Mayday! This is Ranger Brett Pastel requesting assistance. Welcome, listeners, to Dark Tides, a fortnightly improvised audio drama series that uses role-playing game mechanics. Now, before we start, I want to issue a content warning. This show regularly contains themes of supernatural horror, violence, and content that is not suitable for all listeners, so please use your discretion. I'm your host, show creator, and narrator, Aubrey Lydon. Hi, Sorry, Aubrey. I've got I've got weird stuff written down here. Never mind. How are we going, boys? Yeah, pretty Hi. good. Hi. Hi. Hello, my name is BJ Inge. I play Alistair Stern, who is a 19-year-old emo with no friends and no job security. He works as a night watchman, uh, doing odd jobs for his father, the mayor, while spending his free time in secret, pursuing his true calling as an amateur cryptozoologist and detective of the supernatural. Good, my goodness gracious, that's a mouthful. That is a lot and very oh, fast. I made it through. I also want to point out that Chester was sneaking behind my chair. Chester. <laughs> saying that. Chester has now fled the studio. <laughs> walked out of the room. Presumably to get his laptop or wherever he has written down his character introduction. I think he's looking for his his notebook, which is right next to me, actually. Yeah. BJ, what is the fun fact for Alistair this week? Uh, my fun fact for Alistair this week is when he threw his favourite uh, mixtape of Spanish classical guitar songs out of the window of his car uh, because he didn't want us to hear it and he didn't want us to know that, that his favourite type of music is indeed classical Spanish guitar music. He... Uh, after dropping Ernest off that night, spent a good hour driving back and searching <laughs> in the side <laughs> of the road to try and find uh, the the tape that he threw out. And can I roll to see if he found his tape? Sure. Roll for finding childhood heirlooms. Oh, five. Uh, you find it, but it's broken. Uh, it to be, it, it, you can repair it. Okay. I'll, I'll <laughs> come back to that in another episode. You just gotta cool. get the put the pencil in and turn it around. Yeah, yeah. It's all like tangled. No, no, no. It's small. The outside is cracked. You gotta find a new casing. You gotta put yeah. your new reel in. Yeah, it's gonna be. Like I don't a, know anything about cassettes. a whole surgical restoration job. All right, Chester. But you have tinkering. I anyway, do. That's true. Uh, so I am uh, Chester Lynn. I play Ernest Marsh, a lifelong Boy Scout and nature enthusiast who has been given a chance to fulfill his lifelong dream of becoming a park ranger. This dream has led him to the Hookbar Archipelago, which apparently isn't the archipelago we should have been using for this. Yeah, Aubrey, do you have a fun do you have a fun archipelago fact for us? Chester today? has a fun fact first. <laughs> do you fun oh, fact? He's salty. Well, so if you don't know, the whole boy scouting business has a large focus on collecting these little scout uh, patches, basically these badges, which signify different things you have achieved, so on and so forth. And so the one uh, during Cub Scouts that Ernest was, it took him a very long time to get, was the chess badge. And that was because three years running, Schmitty, <laughs> his scouting long rival cheated every single time how now, do you cheat at chess i was gonna say how do you how does one cheat do at chess yeah and you do that wrong thing with the horsey bit <laughs> no so what schmitty would do is he had chess pieces up his sleeves 
So when the when the you know the guy watching it looks away because he doesn't really care that much. Okay, he's not actually being paid to be there. He's just a part timer type of thing. Schmitty would replace one of the pieces that Ernest took basically back on the board, and so Ernest would be like, "Hey, that's not fair," and Schmitty would be like, "Oh, you're just a sore loser." Type of thing. And so then the, the leader wouldn't know who to believe, and so more often than not, would just call off the competition. So Ernest, it took Ernest years to get that that badge, because Schmitty would always cheat. Right, so Ernest is a sore loser, got it. Alice no, is... he just doesn't like cheating. He's okay, he's perfectly happy to lose, as long as it's not by Schmitty. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, Aubrey. Okay. What's your fun fact for us? My fun fact is I googled the Hebrides and have discovered that um, this podcast is a failure and that I got it all wrong from the start. So the Hebrides, if you're unaware, is an archipelago comprising hundreds of islands off the northwest coast of Scotland. Divided into the inner and outer Hebrides, they are home to rugged landscapes, fishing villages, and remote Gaelic-speaking communities. This should have been the setting for the archipelago, all along. Basically, this is the final episode. <laughs> yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Seven episodes, pretty good. We're <laughs> just good about run. to start a new arc. All right, we're going to dive into a very serious episode now, guys. And this week we have a very, very special announcement. Dark Tides will be transitioning from a bi-weekly podcast into a weekly podcast. Yay! Yay! That means twice as much Dark Tides goodness for us to produce for you, the listeners. So we hope you know how much we love you because it's a lot of work. <laughs> but the thing is, we don't know how much you enjoy the show. So if you want to let us know how much you enjoy the show, what your thoughts are on a particular episode or moment or share fan art or anything like that or just argue with us about something, which we're all perfectly happy to do. Yo, just spread spread how disappointed you are that there will now be twice as much Dark Tides out in the universe. That's all perfectly acceptable. Week. So the best places to do that are our Twitter, our Facebook group, and of course our Reddit as well. All those places we are all three of us actively on pre-consistently and if one of us isn't we will share around the feedback we get to each other so we will definitely read whatever you put up whatever you discuss anything like that and we will respond yeah it's also a pretty sure bet that if you post memes or fan art we will be absolutely uh reposting that at least aubrey will i will aubrey will <laughs> we'll leave that to you that can be your <laughs> we'll job. leave the memes to aubrey the angry replies to bj and the fan art for chester <laughs> Oh, all right, that sounds pretty good. Sounds great. Now, also to announce this week, this is episode seven, uh, and going forwards, we are going to be diving into a new arc of Dark Tides. <clears throat> is this the tournament arc? No, the but we will, arc? we will have... The cooking anime arc? I am so tempted to do the all volleyball those. arc. <laughs> the volleyball arc. Oh, no. Okay, we're doing a volleyball special. <laughs> uh, Does yes. this mean we have to learn how to play volleyball, like, between now and whenever we do that? Um, I just need to learn how to make an RPG system. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, we're getting off track. No, this is uh, a new arc, so we're kind of going to be going into some more serious, dark, horror, serious situations now. <laughs> Some more serious Dark Tides. Yeah, no more. Subscribe to our Patreon. <laughs> no more gnomes and music references, guys. 
But if you do enjoy those lighter episodes, you should check out the Patreon, where there is a new bonus episode out, which explores a very entertaining and much more light-hearted venture of Ernest and Alistair. Yes, yeah, so check out our Patreon for weirder, funner bonus content. Mr. Pop... <laughs> It is a peaceful night in the archipelago of Hookbar. The people of the island are asleep, or most of them are asleep. In a basement, below a fish processing plant on the docks, we find Dr. Amelia Pike, a tall, thin woman with short hair and wireframe glasses. We last saw Dr. Amelia when she was being welcomed ashore by Mayor Stern, who was eager to arrange the unloading of her equipment. Now we find Dr. Pike dressed in a heavy rubber apron and thick gloves. The basement room in which she works is tiled with a large drainage grate on the floor for ease of cleaning. She has a stainless steel workbench with her tools neatly arranged by type and size. She turns her attention to the steel cage affixed to the wall. Inside this cage is crouching a blue-gray figure with a squat head and wide frog-like mouth. It gurgles at her. Hmm, you're a pretty one, aren't you? Now let's open you up and see if we can't find out a little more about how you tick. Meanwhile, on the hill overlooking the town and port, the Stern family home stands quietly in the pre-dawn darkness. In his attic room, Alistair Stern tosses. He's dreaming. What is he dreaming about? Alistair is dreaming about a lake and he's strolling along the shore and the water is very calm off to his left and there's a thin layer of mist hanging just above the water. All of a sudden the day goes dark around Alistair and the water level rises around his ankles, around his knees, up to his waist then up to his chest and now this water is dark and he is underground in the Bluegull Wreck, and there are tentacles in the water, thin white strings that wrap their way around his arms, around his chest, around his neck, and they grow tighter and tighter. And out of the water emerges a face. It's not Alistair's face. It's the face of a child, a child he once knew. And then he wakes. <sighs> Meanwhile, on the other side of town, in Port Staples General Hospital, lies Ernest, curled on his side with a hospital blanket pulled up around his chin. Ernest too is dreaming. What is Ernest dreaming of? Ernest is standing inside a warmly lit house. Uh, He's in the living room and it's carpeted and glowing warm as there is a fire uh, in the centre of the room. And there is a bunch of children all sitting around it, some wearing hats, some wearing gloves to try and stay warm, surrounded by the fire and they are swaying and singing together. 
Ernest comes over and sits down amongst them, feeling at home and like a member. And he joins in with the song. Um, suddenly the, the door to the house uh, busts open and a gust of wind comes through and the, the fire is extinguished. And he looks around to see that all the children are gone. He stands up, now alone in the house, when suddenly a red glow illuminates the room and he looks up above the mantelpiece in this living room to the head of what appears to be a deer with its long, large antlers, but with a strangely shaggy, long, thick fur. And it looks at him. Its mouth begins to chatter and it bleats at him and kind of gurgles at him in a strange hostile voice and tries to move closer to him his, its antlers growing longer and reaching out to him as blood starts to gush from its mouth and its eyes open wider then axe is driven through the head of the deer and he wakes up he doesn't gasp for air or sit up shocked because this is a dream he's had hundreds of times he just lays awake Ernest wakes he opens his eyes, groggy and sore, but very still. He is lying in a hospital bed. As he lies there, he has vague memories of being dropped at the hospital by Alistair, of being cleaned up, bandaged, stitched by the night nurse, being given antibiotics and told to lie down. As he lies there and his vision becomes clearer, he realises he doesn't remember much. Much of the last couple of days, flashes of a strange little creature, of many strange little creatures, of screaming voices, of static, of cables and cords whipping out at him. He rubs his face and sits up. An older woman dressed in nurse's blues appears. She has steel-grey hair and a stern expression, but there's something soft about her eyes. Her name tag reads, Head Nurse Ruby. Good, you're awake. Take these. She hands huh? you... What? A half, she hands you a couple of pills. Yeah, he, uh, he takes them and kind of looks at them and looks up at Ruby. We need to get some food into you too. Not good on an empty stomach. Uh, okay, yep, sure. This one's an antibiotic. This one's a painkiller. Kind of peers at them, not even really bothering to read them, just trusting what they are, and kind of puts them down. Yeah. Well, we'll get you some food, then you can take a shower. Oh, she fishes in her um, pocket and pulls out a piece of paper. You need to get this prescription filled when you go into town. The doctor took a look at you. It's okay. nothing serious, just some more antibiotics. Come back when you need the dressing changed. I'll be here. He, uh, he nods. Oh. Uh, don't put any stress on that, otherwise you'll tear my stitches, and I'm not doing them again. He looks down. What part of his body is stitched? He can't remember. <laughs> All of it. Mm, I believe it was his leg that got that up. He looks at his, his leg and is like, how do I not put strain on that to walk? I don't, <laughs> and kind of looks around and is like, there's not a wheelchair or anything here. How do I... <laughs> So he clambers up and leaves the room. We return to the Stern family home as Alistair descends the stairs. Clunk, clunk, clunk. Uh, you have it in your mind to be heading to the hospital 
to check on Ernest and to meet with Gina as Bernie had told you uh, she had come around. Mm. As you descend the stairs, you see your father sitting in the living room with a cup of coffee and a newspaper. He looks up as you appear. Oh, Ali, good. Uh, listen, I am... Um, well, uh, we need to talk. Alistair's finding it a bit hard to focus because he never gets up at this time. <laughs> like, he almost always gets up at, like, 10 or 11, and he's also quite badly bruised with several cuts along his, like, arms and stuff. And so he's like, oh, yeah, what? Uh, I'll, I'll make you a coffee. Come on, come here. Uh, uh, yeah, Dad, I've got to... Okay, I've got to get going because I need to... Go. Uh, it'll be a mi- just a minute. Okay. Uh, you sit in the pristine living room. What does the stern family living room look like? It's <laughs> like the ultimate show house. Yeah, I feel like it's it's like a, a curious mix of like fairly modern but also very extravagant like studded leather chairs and like a very ornate like you know carpet uh, or rug on like the old floorboards and like felt covered desks and all of this very you know sounds like alistair would look rather out of place absolutely like not not even close okay well your father returns with a cup of instant coffee for you and he sits down across from you and he kind of uh taps his knees uh scratches the back of his head and goes um so listen, uh, son, I know things have been... Well, things haven't been easy. I know it's hard sometimes. And I know I'm not around as much as I, I should be. <laughs> Hell, I feel like the last time we actually you know, spent time together, I was teaching you how to drive. And uh, we both remember how that went. Alistair <clears throat> just shifts awkwardly and looks at the coffee. He's like, Dad, you know I don't drink coffee, right? Um, more for me then. Uh, he, <laughs> he takes it from, takes it from you. Uh, look, I know I'm not good at this, and he kind of gestures between <laughs> he and you. Yeah, at communicating uh, with you. I mean, uh, look, your mother was always a lot better with that uh, yeah. than I am. But well, well, she's gone, and it's just you and me now. And I know you miss her, Ali. I can tell. But you have to accept that she's gone and she's not going to come back. Jeez, Dad, you're talking like she's dead. She's not... Well, she's dead to me, and that's what I said when she signed the divorce papers. Dad! <laughs> now, look... <laughs> now, look, that's not the point. That's not the point. <laughs> the point is... It's just you and me, and, well, look, we need to talk about this. And he shows you the newspaper that he was reading. The headline reads, Park Ranger rescued from Blue Gull Wreck. And there's a photo of Bernie and Randy talking to a paramedic, and you're there too, standing off to the side, not really aware that the photo is being taken. And as you scan the first couple of lines, you read... Police were alerted to a distress call from the stranded park ranger when Alistair Stern, son of Mayor Stern, intercepted a distress call. Alistair Stern then aided police in rescuing, etc., etc. Uh-huh. Hold on, is Ernest mentioned at all? <laughs> Ernest is not mentioned at all. Oh, come yes! on! <laughs> um, as you're kind of reading 
this bizarre news story <laughs> that seems to have very little to do with actually what happened. Uh, your father yeah. reaches out and pats you on the shoulder and goes, I'm proud of you, Ali. Really, you were brave. I mean, hell, what a headline. It's just a shame they didn't put your name in the headline, actually, yeah? <laughs> Alistair Stern leads daring rescue, yeah. you know, something like yeah, that. Yeah, I was just trying to help, I guess. I mean, we intercepted the... When I was taking the park guy up to the station, there was a... Anyway, it doesn't matter, but yeah, thanks, I guess. He looks seriously at you. Um, I'm just glad you're finally taking my advice about all that conspiracy theory hoo-ha and the bogey <laughs> stories. <laughs> Look, you're an adult now, and you need to start thinking like one. Yeah, I know, and, and I know, I know. He gestures to the photo. I think this proves, you know, you've got the grit to do something really great with yourself. You've got potential, and I don't want you to I know that, underestimate Dad. that. I know that. I'm just saying, saying. He kind of puts his hands in here and backs up a little. Just saying. Anyway, just wanted to, just wanted to let you know, I'm proud of you. And um, yeah. Yep. Good talk. Okay. Yeah. He stands up. He takes your coffee. Um, he taps the uh, Bluetooth headpiece that you didn't notice he had in. Goes, uh, yeah, I'm back. Okay. Um, all right. Where were we up to? Yeah. Run me through the report. Wow. And uh, wanders away. Alistair just shakes his head. Uh, it's an attempt, I suppose. Uh, he picks up the newspaper and uh, walks off. We return to Ernest in the hospital. He's eaten and showered and dressed. And as he returns to his hospital bed uh, to grab the rest of his things, uh, Bernie knocks on the door. Ah, morning. Hello. Good. Hello. You're very chipper. Good to see you're awake. Awake is such a subjective term. <laughs> um, Ernest kind of shrugs a little bit. He's like, oh, well, I mean, just uh, excited to get back to the station and to, you know, get back on the back on the land and all that type of stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, about that. Well, Gina is ready to see us. Um, I was supposed to come grab you. I think we're expecting Alistair too. She wanted uh, him here. Uh, come on, we'll um, walk and talk. <laughs> it's kind of just standing there. It's like, is she angry? Is she... Uh, Gina? Yeah. Is... Oh, G- Gina's always angry. Is she, mo- is she mostly angry at me? Um... She was mostly angry at me last time. <laughs> yes. Well, look, um, I've known Gina for a while. Uh, that's kind of just the way she is. Some people just sort of make her angrier than others. <laughs> <laughs> I don't take it personally. It's not normally, you know, like a, a bad thing. It's just, I don't know, maybe your face annoys her. It's, it took me a long time to win her over, you know. Ernest <laughs> <laughs> kind of nods like, yeah, I can see that. I can see that being a thing. All right, yeah. let's uh, let's go. And he kind of waddles out of the room, <laughs> not putting too much pressure on the leg, like a penguin type of thing. <laughs> just like doesn't bend the knee. He doesn't bend the doesn't bend either knees. Yeah, he could bend the other knee, but he doesn't do it for either. All right, so well, since you're being careful, I won't make you roll to see if you pull your stitches out. <laughs> yeah. Next episode. Yeah. Um, all right, you head down the corridor. Bernie leads you from where you were in sort of the. Um, group ward um, to the private rooms, the closed rooms, and uh, you find Alistair on the way as he uh, is arguing with a nurse as to whether or not he's allowed to uh, not wipe his feet as he comes in. 
It's not raining. It's my shoes. Look, look. I have to clean this floor. They're clean. I have to clean this floor. They are clean. Just wipe your shoes. Hello, Alistair. No, you wipe your shoes. And then I see her. Oh, Ernest. Sorry, I got it. Very important. I got to go. And then I walk Hey, you come back here. (laughs) And I'm kind of just like looking at the lady. I'm just like, I'm sorry about it. I don't. I'm I'm like stumbling. Have you talked to Jeannie yet? Yeah. I'm still looking at the nurse lady. I, um, can I help you? Come on, let's go. Bernie just sort of where is she? Ushers both of you away. <laughs> I waddle kind to of one mouthing side, mouthing apologies behind him. <laughs> I waddle to the side. <laughs> You're right there. What's how's that leg feeling? Oh, the the ruby lady should be angry if I tear my stitches. Okay, fair enough. I also this is not a, an Alistair thought, but it's also quite funny. I know he took more damage than I did last time, mm-hmm. but he's like in hospital. He's got a friendly nurse and everything. I've just had to like, I'm assuming bandage myself and treat my own You could own have come wounds. to the hospital. Uh, you have, uh, I would as, have done that. As Ernest says, uh, uh, Nurse Ruby, Alistair has a flashback to being about eight years old and breaking his leg, uh, falling off his bike <laughs> and an extremely scary Nurse Ruby telling him that she's seen much worse things in the troubles in Northern Ireland and she is not <laughs> going and she is not going to put up with your squirming that was the last day Alistair ever set foot in any kind of medical place until today yep that is um, based on a true story funnily enough anyway he was so, like yeah. sitting on his bed like putting band-aids on himself <laughs> and like so Ernest is waddling down the hall she's like yeah she looked a little scary but she, I think she's really nice I think she's really nice that woman terrifies me. <laughs> okay, Bernie um, leads you down the hallway to the last door. He knocks and a voice from inside says, Yes, come in. Um, he opens the door and you see Gina Grimshaw sitting propped up in her hospital bed and she is looking the worse for wear with bruising down one side of her face and dark circles under her eyes. Her wrist is in a splint. Her left leg is in a cast and elevated with a pillow. She looks... Ah, well, she looks exactly the way that she did when she was fighting off hideous aquatic creatures on the bridge of the Blue Gala. She looks irritated, let's say. (laughs) Good, now that you're all here, will someone please, for the love of all things bright and beautiful, explain what's been going on? Ernest waddles into the room <laughs> and kind of stands in front of her bed and is like, Hi, um, I'm, I'm really, Look, really look, sorry. No, I'm going to get to you in a minute. Bernie, just give me the gist, okay? Uh, Bernie scratches his head. Uh, he takes a sip from his ever-present uh, travel mug. He goes, Mmm. Right, uh, the way I see it, we've still got about uh, 30 missing persons, three rangers missing, um, but we have got some distress calls. We've got a pretty good idea, um, and Ali here tells me that we've got an idea uh, where the boy is. Gina nods her head. Okay, Ernest, Alistair. Would you like to explain what happened at the ranger's station? Well, and I look at Ernest. Ernest kind of puts his hand out. Ernest kind of puts his hand out. It's like, 
I was coming over in the morning. Uh, I was on the ferry and I got a message from... Gina watches you as you explain how you came over on the ferry, how you had messages from the chief, how you were picked up by Alistair and hit a deer on the road and how it was sick. You explain how you followed the trail the deer had left into the woods and the strange feeling that came over you like you were being watched. You can see Gina's face. She's trying hard to stay impassive to not show emotion. But even you, Ernest, can tell that there is a lot going on under the surface that she is struggling to keep at bay while she listens. Basically felt like we were being watched and Alistair felt like he saw someone watching us. Yeah, I saw there was some kind of person there and then when we tried to ring the chief's phone, we heard we heard the ringtone. Um, so we assume it was the chief. What, wait, wait, wait. What was the ringtone? Uh, I kind of pl- I pull out my phone I and I go through like the uh, like automatic ones. And I pl- click on the one that I heard. All right, she listens. She just nods. And I put it back. I was like, "Is that, you, is that your dad's phone?" Yeah. And okay. I said, so, uh, kind of holding my hands out again. I was like, "Please let me finish." I was like, "So we made our way back to the car. We ended up running because it was following us. We got into the car and we went to the station. When we arrived at the station, it was in." A pretty great was, deal. There was disarray. no one there either. Like it was yep. fully empty. It was completely no, blank. What, around hold on, hold on. What time was this? Uh, I was. It was late afternoon, like sunset. Four uh, days ago. Yeah, I didn't. We've been around four thirty p.m. I think so. Okay, I left the station first light that morning, and so I thought okay. it was very weird because by protocol there needs to be someone there at all times. So I was, I knew that yes, then that I should have gotten there. There were no cars earlier. either. Like it no, was, yeah, it was just us. You explained to Gina how you searched the ranger's station, how you found things trashed and upended. You explained how you found the chief's office and you investigated the strange spider web of research and documentation on his wall and on his desk. You see her face tighten when you say this, and she glances at Bernie. Something passes between them, but neither speaks as you continue to explain. Uh, that's when the thing that we believe followed us arrived at the station it was as well. It was, it was your dad. He's dead. Pretty sure. I can't Sorry, hold my hand I probably down. could have said that better. She pinches the bridge of her nose. I mean, he might not be dead. I hold he, a finger he could be out. Alive I hold still. a finger out to Alistair and I say, there is a way to say things. <laughs> and I turn back to, to um, uh, Gina. He, he just kind of takes a half step. But he's like, Ernest, do you want to tell her what happened? And I say, I was like, he uh, attacked me and I used pepper spray to get him back. He had the similar uh, black mucus all through his face, nose, eyes, all that type of stuff. So my immediate thought was there is some strange type of rabies that the animals had contracted that he had caught. Uh, we are yet to we have to get the... The test I have, the the sample I have tested, but that's my guess at the moment. You go on to explain how you escaped the chief, how you grabbed some of his documents and maps, how you got out the window into the car park, how Alistair's car had been broken into and the breakdown kit stolen. And then... That was when we had our next altercation with the chief when he attacked us at the car. It's he, all right. We broke his leg. It's okay. 
I hold my finger out again. <laughs> she, she starts breathing very uh, deeply and controlledly Alistair is really and closes her eyes. He attacked us there and Alistair stopped him. And we didn't, we didn't kill him, uh, but we, we hurt his leg so he couldn't chase after us. And so then we went back to barricade ourselves in the station. We called the police. By the time the police turned up, I just ripped Bernie. Uh, your dad had gone, so he's still alive, clearly. Uh, but the main thing that but concerns that's when, me... That's when we heard your, your call, and so we, we left straight away. And... I put my finger up again. <laughs> like, but the main thing that concerns me is that while that was all happening, because I went back into your dad's office, everything had been stolen from inside of it. All the paperwork everything that I'd taken a big chunk of had been stolen in the time that we were being attacked. So someone had gone into the station while we were being assaulted outside. Which was like five minutes. And stole no more than five everything minutes. in your dad's office and then escaped with it. That's when we heard your call and we came to the Blue Girl wreck. Okay. So she you- holds out a hand to shush. <laughs> Alistair goes. Okay. Hmm... You said something about a sample with mm-hmm. the deer. Yeah, we you said put it you in took a, a sample a or tin? had a sample. I, I I took a sample. Where is that? That is in my bag at the paint, uh, park ranger station with all the paperwork. Alistair has photographs of all the paperwork and also of the sample. Good. I am going to need that sample, and I'm going to need the paperwork. And Alistair, she looks at you very pointedly I want those photos too no copies, no backups I want everything you have well hold on, I can't just give you no, I, I can't just Bernie, delete it off my uh, Bernie still on his phone says uh, technically you don't have rights to take photos of someone else's private stuff and you definitely don't have rights to uh, withhold them but from an investigation it was a de- what about the deer photo? like that's that's not somebody's deer. That's not and somebody's I hold pet, my, is it? I hold up my hand. I say, well, then also, excuse me, we don't have to give you that sample. That is unrelated to this case. That is a whole different situation. Yes, technically, that was before that we was even saw the chief. That was an accident unrelated to Gina. the chief. That's ours. She nods. Uh, she kind of shifts where she's sitting um, and she beckons for you to come a little closer. <laughs> <laughs> just earnest just earnest I put my hands on my hips and say you can say it loud enough please she beckons again <laughs> I'm standing where I'm going to st- I'm just a little scared but he's going to stand where he is <laughs> come here Ernest Gina you haven't told Ernest, us how Gina, come Gina. here you haven't told us how you ended up at the Blue Girl Wreck I will Why get you there? to it when I get to it and who's Brett where, where did he come into this why Ernest, here. I put my hands on my hips and I say, (laughs) I say, I am paid to be here, not to be bullied. I'm sorry, have you had a paycheck yet? Have you actually been accepted into the Rangers Corps here? No, because you're you're so messed up in your own shit that I haven't been... I haven't been given an, even an introduction into the who the chief is. I'm attacked by him. For the first time, Alistair holds his hand up. <laughs> it's like, oh, all right, okay. Look, just uh, calm down. I mean, 
I don't want to give you the photos, but let's we can talk about this, okay? She... Gina! <laughs> she points at you a little bit like a mother going, we're going to deal with this in a second. She turns to Alistair and goes, I don't care about the photos of the deer. I want the photos of my father's notes. And I want the physical copies of my father's notes because they are no use to you. They are of a lot of use to me. And if he is missing or dead or something else, I am the next of kin. I am the only... I am the one that needs to know. I am the one that needs his things, and I am the one that needs to find him. I do not need a bunch of amateur detectives running around thinking that they know what they are doing. If you are going to help, you are going to do it under my direction. Gina, he tried to kill us. I think I'm I aware. think we're decently I involved at this aware point. Of what he tried to do. I'm aware of a lot of things that you are not. I am much more equipped to deal with the things that you are not. There is a whole mess of things going on here that neither of you have any understanding of, and you have no idea how much damage you have done since you got here. Now, I'm going to clean up this mess, and I'm going to do it with or without your help. But trust me, you want to be on my side of this. Well, I can't get the photos to you straight away. I'd have to take go back to my computer. That's, I can't do that today. That's okay. First things first. Brett needs help, and there is a child that needs help. Those are our main priorities. I agree. For the moment, finding Dad can wait. I was on Blue Gull because... There had been a rumoured sighting of someone standing on the deck, of a woman standing on the deck. Two of the people that we are looking for, uh, two of the missing persons, are a mother and a young boy. And we have particular need to find them and find them as quickly as possible because Dad was convinced that of everyone, they are the most in danger. And if this boy is who I think he is, his name is Wilbur Perez, and he is in a whole mess of danger. I look at uh, Alistair through the corner of my eye with the look of, don't give her any more information. And I look back and I say, okay, then we follow up with Brett and we find out what he knows and where he is. Alistair just frowns a little bit like, you're saying we shouldn't go after this child because we know where they are? <laughs> where, he, where he is? Sorry? I continue to look at Gina. Anyway, I was there because we'd heard rumours that there was some sort of sighting found a way in that wasn't through the obviously dangerous hole in the side of the ship well climbing gear gets you a long way anyway couldn't find any evidence but I didn't even get below decks before those things found me and I got pinned down 
and I spent about six hours trying to get rid of them. Eventually, I managed to actually get a response. You're welcome. I knew, and you are correct, Ernest, that it is Ranger Protocol for there to be someone manning the station. It's a public service. There is always supposed to be someone on the helpline. But things being as they are, and she kind of gives Alistair a dirty look huff without meaning to. <laughs> um... The Rangers don't have a lot of funding these days. Uh, there have been a lot of cutbacks recently, and assuming everyone is alive and well, there is only five active Rangers on the hook bar. I look at her and kind of frowns like, but you're manning hundreds of acres. That's that. It's mandatory for ten for the amount of... We are manning Acres you have. 12 different islands, three major ones, yes. We are massively understaffed. That is why you were called in, and I don't know why you were called in. You are not what we need here, but we'll get to that. Dad was in the field. After I left, he got some other tip about someone in the woods... Someone had seen a figure running in the woods from the side of the road. They thought there was someone who might need help. They stopped. They couldn't find anyone. They called Dad. Anyway, Dad went looking. He left the station. You said that the station was, what, smashed up? You said it was a mess. It was in It was in a bit of disarray, but I mean... Uh, Bernie says, uh, front door was smashed. couple of windows seemed to have been uh, that was left open. Was one of them, yeah, you said you guys went through a window, but there were a couple of windows that were open. Um, security system was shot, by the way. Uh, not that it was anything other than 30 years old and useless. <clears throat> anyway, uh, yeah, a bunch of tables were kind of flipped. It looked like someone had gone through it, but between whatever was happening with the chief and these boys, it's hard to know what happened when. Um I mean, you know, Gina, we don't exactly have a forensic team that can help us out with this. <laughs> um, she nods. Right. Okay. Cards on the table. All of our rangers have been in the fields trying to chase down leads, trying to pin down missing persons. And so far, none of them are back. Now we've got Ranger Brett, who you've got a distress call from. He was in Section 5, I think. That's the cave system down near Hon. Brett is... Brett's a good one. He's a very reliable one, um, but he can be a bit panicky. But regardless, we need all hands on deck, so... Someone needs to go down and get Brett. And especially if he seems to think, and she kind of looks at Bernie who nods, uh, apparently he had seen a number of the missing persons. That's what you told Bernie. And that's what Bernie told me. Is that right? I kind of look at uh, Alistair again. I say, 
Oh, do you people not write anything down? Uh, so we didn't exactly have time, Gina. To uh, write, don't look, back look, sass me. I look back and I say, yes, that's, that is what he you said. You want another cast? What, your other foot? Just give us a minute. When I get out of this hospital bed, Alistair Stern. Yeah, when you get out of it. And then I, I walk over to it. I'm like, just, just give us a minute. And I walk over and like kind of take Ernest aside so the other two can't hear us. Like, okay. What do you think we should do? I mean, I, I think we should. Like, if there's if there's a child in danger, I feel like that we should I, do that. I Brett hold can take up, care of himself, can't he? he? Can. I hold up my finger again and I push open the the bedroom door and walk out into the hallway and gesture for him to follow. I follow him out. And I close the door. Okay. Him. <laughs> and I'm still like fuming. I was like, yes, we should go after the child. Look, I don't trust her either, if that's what you're worried about. I don't, I don't trust her. I don't want to Why would she her. ask that we don't keep the stuff? I, I don't know. That's weird. I mean, I guess, I suppose, Brett, uh, Bernie has a point, but... But we were there. We... I kind of, like, gesture a little bit, like... I don't... By the, the time allowed, it was impossible for her to have been at the station. Quote-unquote. But I feel like it's just as likely that she's trying to cover up something here. I by firstly, don't trust her yet. By firstly, most likely, in my opinion, stealing the papers there while we were being well, attacked. And if she's trying to get a hold of all of them, that and, would be the best way to take them from us. And now that she's worked out, oh, I didn't get all of them, she's trying to get the rest. That's true. She didn't mention that until we'd said that we had the rest. I mean, I guess she wouldn't have known, but... I was like, that's, that's all just paperwork that would be in the... The scouts, in the, not the scout, in the in the uh, the office. That stuff should be recorded in some form, I've so that should that all office. be information she should have access to already. Oh, I've been in there before. Like, if there was anything top secret, it, like they would have. It's just a ranger's station. I kind of brush my hair back and I was like, okay. uh, I'm not saying she's lying. I just don't think we should trust her yet. No, I, I don't trust her, and I don't want to give her my photos. I'm not doing that. No, we. Can you, t- can, uh, kind of lower my voice, can you take copies without leaving any type of trace or anything like that? I think I think so. I think I can do that. Okay. I, As you are a, yeah. kind of um, huddled together having this quiet conversation, you become aware uh, that someone is breathing very close behind you. Oh. And as you... <laughs> turn around. Uh, and as you turn around, uh, Officer Randy is about six inches from your face. Are we conspiring in the hallways, kids? <laughs> you know what I think about conspiring. Randy, don't sneak up on people. What is your problem? I'm just hanging around, just doing, doing the Lord's work. Doing the Lord's work. What are you doing? Have you been in to see Gina? Is Bernie in there? Where's Bernie? And he opens the door and walks into the no, bedroom. No, he kicks open the door and <laughs> yeah. storms in. Bernie! Bernie, are you in here? Um, that yeah, man Randy, will yeah. never learn. <laughs> I've been looking for you for, for minutes, Bernie. I told you, you doing? I told you to stay in the car. I did, Randy. I got, I got, I, I got suspicious. I thought maybe, maybe you needed my help or backup or something. Right. Also, you didn't He's... leave a crack of the window open, so I was getting a bit hot. <laughs> I to, you didn't leave me the keys. So I had to break out, but uh, it's fine. I'll might replace that window later. He's pacing <laughs> up and down. Is Randy just a human terrier? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I kind of, I look back at Alistair and I kind of tap on my nose. It's like we don't give her anything. I head back into the room. I nod. Right, so you walk back in and close the door. 
uh, Randy is pacing basically from one corner to the other behind you. A little bit like a guard dog, actually. I feel like he's got a cut on his hand from breaking the window and he's like nursing it. <laughs> but he doesn't want them to see that he's hurt, so he's kind of like... Ah. <laughs> yep. He's got his hand in his pocket, but only halfway because it irritates the cut to have it all the way. Damn. <laughs> Alright, so um, Bernie kind of claps his hands. Alright. Um, so here's the situation. Technically, a missing ranger is primarily uh, the ranger corps' business. They need to look after their own. Now, of course, they can have None of my business, not my department. Thanks, Randy. Um, You're welcome. And so, of course, uh, they are perfectly entitled to ask for and receive police help um, in recovering a ranger in distress. Now, the case of the missing child, technically... <laughs> As he says that, Randy just, like, scornfully looks at... Uh, Ernest is like, I'm not helping you. <laughs> uh, technically, missing child is police domain, not rangers. Uh, I mean, Alistair would know this. Uh, well, for Ernest's benefit, in a place as remote as this, uh, with towns separated by some pretty rough terrain, the police and the rangers generally work pretty well hand in hand uh, in any kind of emergency situation. Well, like a well oiled machine. <laughs> Uh, yep. So, uh, I have been talking to my chief, uh, chief of police. His take on all this was that, uh, I should go for the child. Uh, we're going to, in fact, leave about as soon as possible. Um, and right, get up you're to on it. <laughs> Randy walks out of the room. I'll start the car. He gets halfway down the hall, stops at a coffee maker. No, comes back. <laughs> I need the keys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Comes back. I need the keys. Takes the keys. Goes down to the coffee maker at the end and just starts punching it. It's like, why aren't you working? Come on, Randy needs his juice. <laughs> uh, Bean juice. <laughs> get me all. Get me on heart pumping, you know. More so than usual. Uh, Bernie kind of just tuts, you know, with his tongue is. Thirty years till retirement. <laughs> Alrighty. <clears throat> anyway, so, uh, listen. What do you mean you only got soy milk? Disgusting. Uh, listen, boys. You guys have been kind of thrown in the deep end with all this stuff, and I think all of you know that uh, none of this is exactly normal. But life on the archipelago is not always exactly normal. Um, so look, we think it's in your best interests and ours if you were to tag along. Um, like Gina said, manpower is down and someone does have to go after the rangers. And, well, at a, a budget cuts, there are not as many police as there should be. Um, either. <laughs> Down the hallway he there comes the sounds of the, of uh, Randy punching the coffee Useless. dispenser. Oh, can't get good funding. Man powers down and brain powers down further. <laughs> uh, the nurse walks past. Do you know how to work this thing? <laughs> oh, please. Oh, oh, I'm new here. Fix it. <laughs> I'm on duty, you know. Please stop. <laughs> Making it really hard to. 
<laughs> Bernie just closes the door and kind of shakes his head to clear it. Okay. <clears throat> okay. Hmm. All right. Here's the deal. Uh, I'm going to head up to the old cove. I'm going to see if I can find any evidence of a child or any of the missing persons or anything like that. Um, I'm going to take a, a, one of you, both of you, uh, whatever. I think that would be the best thing to do. And we're going to send someone, uh, well, a buddy system, everything in buddy system, guys. Got to be safe. Uh, we're going to send a buddy system down to Hon Caves, which is kind of the opposite uh, end of uh, Staples. Anyway, we're going to send another team to go and retrieve him. And then we're going to get everyone home safe. And then we're going to figure out where we go from there. So I think uh, it's up to you guys what you want to do, but we're rolling out in the next hour. So I um, I look at Alistair and I kind of um, nod at his phone, kind of encouraging him to take notes. And I'm going to walk up to Gina. Like, I take out my phone and... Just a few things I want to just work out just for uh, future brain working out. Sounds like you need that, yeah. Mm, I think I do. How Um, close are you standing to her? uh, I'm still like at the foot of her bed. Okay. I look at her and I'm considering resting my elbow on her leg. Uh, But I'm not going to do that. Um, I just wouldn't do that. I'm going to look at her. What time did you leave the service day, the um, the station? What time did I leave for the wreck? Mm-hmm. Okay, third degree, that's fine. I probably owe you some answers anyway. I left about 6.30am, just after first light. So you couldn't possibly have been around there at, say, 4.30, 4.45? No. Can you back that up? Well, maybe if you checked the logs of the distress calls, you would see that my first distress call went out about midday. You don't have any clue who could have taken that stuff from the office. Or why they'd want to take stuff like that from the office. Surely that was just regular documents, right? It can't have been anything strange. (laughs) It can't have been anything that, I don't know, wasn't of knowledge to the rest of the people working at the station (laughs) sarcasm doesn't suit you Ernest you kind of need a little more weight to pull that off everything in my father's office was common knowledge to everyone else in the station everything in my father's office was the accumulation and our best guesses of where these 30 missing people are and what's happened to them that is why I need the notes. And I kind of brush my chin. And I'm like, so all of that should be saved information. There'd be backup files for that. So why do you need so desperately our stuff? Uh, Alistair has a kind of a look of like, this was going well, and I think he's pushing it a bit far now. <laughs> because, young man, you are not a park ranger yet. You were offered the job by my father, who was the chief ranger. In his absence, I am the acting chief ranger. There is paperwork to be signed, 
there is introductions to be done, there is training for you to go through before you are officially a member. Gina, I don't think we have time. Hold we it. don't have <laughs> She stares you down. Look at it from my perspective. I know you've got a lot of questions. I know you're probably pretty scared. But from my perspective, two kids two kids waltz into our base of operations in the middle of a massive missing persons investigation while all of our rangers are out in the field. They are attacked by apparently my father who is ill and they steal half of the notes, which by the way, we do not have copies of. The photocopier is broken. I know it's an issue. Don't underline it. <laughs> I look at that also, underline it. <laughs> he underlines it. And then they brutalize my father and he disappears. Look, I'm not blaming you for that. I have seen some things too. I get self-defense in those situations. My job, as far as I see it, is to bring people home safe. If anyone is lost in the wilderness outside of the main town centers, it is my job to find them and bring them home safe. All that documentation, which somebody stole and you guys removed, is the only leads I had, the only information that we were tracking. It had everything. If we're going to find any of these missing people, which, by the way, I don't think you've stopped to think about where any of these 30 people are that have been missing for the last two months. Okay, Jess, I'm like, well, I'm just not a park ranger. I haven't been given the debrief. Yeah, because Gina, you didn't I think you ask. should be thanking us for saving what little of the documents we could because obviously somebody else is trying to stop your investigation if they'd stolen your, your documents. Thank you, Alistair. I will thank you when I get them back. As yet, I have not even had confirmation that they would be given back, which, by the way, is a felony. I told you we don't have them at the moment. We can't give them to you. And if you're wanting us to go and look for Brett, we can't just Look, I'm not going to thank you for giving me a gift until it's been given to me. The All fact right. that you say something doesn't mean anything. Fine. I, she um... kind of tries to do... <laughs> Alistair on the inside. I was like, damn, she does have a point there, actually. <laughs> <laughs> look... I know this is not what you were expecting, Ernest, when you turned up here. I know you were probably expecting this to be the start of a career. Look, trust me, I know that no one becomes a park ranger for the money. It's not exactly a great job, so you must actually care about the kind of stuff that we do. I get that. And I get that you are doing the best with the situation that was given to you. And it is a shitty situation that you've been dropped into. But I need you to do what all good park rangers should, listen to your elders and to the people in charge. Do what you're told, work with the team, and trust the team. I, um, I flash my uh, listening to elders badge <laughs> on my jacket, and I say, I will do that, and I will help this. Even though I'm not a park ranger, I will go and t try and find Brett, but I do not trust you. You haven't, been, you haven't given me the chance to trust you or the information to trust you. You have to understand that when we see all that stuff be stolen from the ranger station and then the immediate reaction you have is, I want the rest of it, for, of, of course, our reaction to be, she's trying to cover something up. Um, Alistair looks at you and is like, shut up, shut up, shut up. And is like, come on. We're, he's like, let's um, go do yeah. the thing now. And he's like, tries to drag you out of the room. 
she holds up a hand to stop Alistair and she says, Fair. My, um, my therapist tells me I can be too abrupt. <clears throat> I haven't given you very much to go on. That is true. Look, what do you want to know? You can ask me. We've got, we're on a time frame here, so just make it quick, but you can ask me a question and I will do my best to answer honestly. I'll look at Alistair and kind of remember the conversations we had the night before. I'll look back and I'll say, what's Watchtower burning? We heard Brett say it, we heard you say it, and we heard the Chief say it we when know he was in the station. We know it relates to some kind of Park Ranger code, but because Ernest obviously isn't, hasn't been given that information yet, we don't know what that means. Is it a place? We're assuming it's a place, but we don't know where it is. She shifts uneasily um, and kind of cracks her neck a little to the side and goes, um, well, there's a bit of history in that. But you're right. Essentially, uh, Watchtower Burning is a code the Rangers and the Archipelago use. It means a situation where there is suspicion of or confirmation of um, preternatural activity. It's an emergency call for backup essentially. Um, it goes back a ways. Okay. I am actually uh, third generation of Grimshaws working in the Rangers here. And Watchtower Burning goes back to my grandfather's time. Look, from what I know, back in the 1960s, uh, there was an incident... A ranger had been sent out to track a string of uh, strange animal deaths, I think. Either a human doing some pretty twisted stuff to the wildlife or some kind of predator that isn't natural to the archipelago. It's pretty unclear. Anyway, um, this was back in the days before easy portable comms and... In those days, we used to follow a more American system of how to run things. Back then, we had watchtowers at different points over the islands uh, in case of fires and other disasters, and each one of them had a pretty basic comms system in it so that we could keep track. Anyway. Well, a few days after being sent out, the ranger station received a distress call from this ranger in the field he said he'd found something he was scared out of his wits, not making sense. Said something was after him and his gun didn't do any good. Well, he'd locked himself in the watchtower. So the rangers were deployed, my grandfather, one of them. And when they got close, they could see that the watchtower was on fire. The watchtower itself was actually alight and they got close enough to see their friend inside, burning. And they could see something else in there with him. When Grandad told me this story, he said it weren't anything human, something out of a nightmare or a, a horror story. Anyway, the fire was too big to be battled and the rangers couldn't get close. 
They sent a runner back down to the station to get more help. The watchtower was burning. And that's what they told them. Watchtower burning. They destroyed what was left of that creature and they buried their friend. And after that, they set up a code. My grandfather was put in charge of a small task force. The Watchtower Task Force, he called it. Their job was to keep track and deal with situations like this. Stuff that other people weren't going to be equipped. And they didn't want anyone in the town finding out about the dangers or the risks. Because if you haven't noticed, life here on Hookbar's tough enough as it is. So they kept it a secret. They destroyed evidence, they hid documentation. That's why something like this case that obviously has elements that are hard to explain to the general public, we don't keep lots of backup documents and things that can be found. So yeah, that's what Watchtower Burning is. Did you notice anything before the first missing persons case? Or was that the first indication you had that something was wrong. Alistair Stern, ever the observant one. Let me ask you something, Ali. Okay. Have you ever been walking home one afternoon and you see something out of the corner of your eye that you can't quite you can't quite put your finger on what it is and it gives you that that goosebumps feeling and then you maybe have a dream about it that night hmm? Alistair goes quiet and a little bit more pale and takes a half step back and like lowers his eyes a bit there is always stuff going on around here these 30 missing persons are far from the first missing persons some of the notes that either you or god knows who else has has a list of other points in the past where there have been outbreaks of missing peoples ours is maybe third in documented history so we're trying to figure out if there is a reoccurring factor here. I don't know too much, and it is dangerous to say too much. Just as there are people who want to keep things secret to protect people, there are those who want to keep things secret to manipulate people. Now, I'm not you know, a conspiracy theorist. I don't think that there is some secret organization out there. But there is definitely someone who has something to gain from stealing our documentation. And maybe it's that they are trying to find the missing people as well. I don't know. All I know is that nobody comes into my home and takes my things without repercussions. Ernest noticed a slight change in Alistair's face and his demeanor. Uh, he's He's been fairly angry and uh, defiant against Gina, and that element is still there, but it's not directed at Gina anymore, and 
you can see a, uh, almost a determination underneath his anger, and he turns and walks out of the room. I look at Gina as I... Alright, well, that's a... That's a start of things we can go on. Uh, we have other things to ask you about, but we, have, of course, our look at the clock. Time sensitive, so... Uh, I guess we'll get to it, and I'll head out of the room as well. She says, wait. Uh, Bernie, you can take the others. Ernest, I want a word in private. The others, <clears throat> the others file out of the room, and Bernie closes the door, leaving just you and Gina. Does this mean room. I need to walk out of the room, guys? I want to. You already walked yeah. out. You're yeah. I know. I mean, in real life, <laughs> so I, I don't hear what you talk about. I waddle over to the chair near her bed. Okay. <laughs> heart, trying to sit down doesn't work. Stay standing up. All right. Gina turns her full attention on you, and you suddenly feel very alone in this room. So, Ernest, <clears throat> my father is missing in action. That means I am acting Ranger Chief. I'm hospitalized. I won't be able to walk freely for a few weeks. And that's a generous estimate, according to the doctor. I'm sorry. It's fine. In the meantime, every single ranger under my command is in the field. And all of them, all of them should have been back long before now. They should have been back when I set out. Hmm. So... Brett sent a distress call. We at least know where he is. Jermaine is unaccounted for. We don't know where my brother is. So that leaves little old you. I don't have any of your paperwork. I don't have any proof of your qualifications, of your background, of your training. I don't have any of that. All I have is your conduct over the last couple of days. Uh, Dad was not a great filer. He didn't keep things very organized. I will find your paperwork. I'll find all of those things and we will have a proper sit down and we will run you through what it's gonna take for you to be official here. Assuming that you want to stay after this and I can understand that you might not want to. But just know that this is a delicate situation and I expect you to perform at your best. And based on the last couple of days, I would conclude that you are enthusiastic, if a little incompetent. I have seen very little evidence of real world training or experience. And yes, I do know that this is supposed to be your first posting. Don't get me wrong, you've made it clear, but I don't understand why my father picked someone with so little experience, given what we are looking at right now. I kind of brush my nose, it's like, I have other experiences, so maybe it was that type of stuff. Maybe it was. My father was a good people person. He knew how to pick 
reliable ranges. Anyway, now I'm sending you out into the field to do this. When you get back, and I have a few moments of peace, we can talk about your qualifications, we can talk about your future here, and we will decide whether it is a good fit for you to stay. It's not a threat. It's not a do what I want or else. It's a is it a good place for you to be? Are you good for here? That's all. I'm just nods. Great. Well, like you said, we're on a clock, so get going. Yep. Ernest heads out of the room and follows after Alistair, still kind of shaking off the the flare-up of anger. <laughs> and he catches up to Alistair. Okay. Uh, the two of you are standing in the car park. There are two police patrol cars, um, big four drives, equipped for some pretty rough terrain. I, um, I look at Alistair and I'm like, sorry about that, I didn't mean to for it to turn into an argument. It's fine. I'm just... I'm over people trying to cover stuff up. Me too. Me too. Uh, Bernie and Randy approach. Randy has managed to find himself a cup of coffee. He's, <laughs> he's got two cups of coffee. He's like um, one in each hand. His hand is now uh, bandaged up. <laughs> And he's saying... He's got uh, like a Wiggles... He's, he's got a Wiggles band-aid. tattoo. Yeah, yeah. No, tattoo. Wiggles band-aid. He's got a Wiggles band-aid. Um, as he uh, trots up, he's saying something to Randy quietly. Like, she scares the absolute living daylights out of me. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the eyes. It's the I think it's the eyes. He takes a sip of one cup of coffee. Mm. Takes a sip of the other one. Mm. Cinnamon. <laughs> Different types of coffee. <laughs> One's like caramel cinnamon latte, extra sugar, and the other one's like triple shot long bike. Yeah. Um, Bernie goes, yeah, I know, Randy. It's, she's, don't worry about it. Freaky. All right. Freaky woman. Okay, boys. Um, oh, no. I am back again. All right. Here's how we're doing this. Um, I am heading up to the old cove. I'm going to check out uh, this situation with the kid. Randy is going to go to the caves. Um, who is going with who? <laughs> Alistair looks at Randy and just shakes his head. And then he looks at Bernie and is like, I'll come with you, Bernie. Uh, good man. All right. Ernest, are you uh, good to go with Randy? He kind of stares <laughs> wide-eyed at Randy. Flashing back to Randy, like, arresting him. <laughs> Randy looks at you and smiles. And it doesn't... It doesn't give you any comfort. In fact, it makes you more uncomfortable. <laughs> As Randy is uh, purposefully making Ernest uncomfortable, uh, a hand is clapped down on the top of Randy's head and standing uh, just a little ways behind Randy is a very tall, very well-built woman, also dressed in police gear. Uh, she is taller than any of you. She's taller than Bernie. And she's built a little like a wrestler, but she has the single most kind face you've ever seen. Um, and Bernie goes, oh, great. Uh, Alistair, Ernest, uh, this is Officer Nancy. 
Officer Nancy will be uh, going to the caves too. And she uh, she knows and goes, it's very nice to meet you. And Ernest is a little bit happier about the prospect of going with Randy now. So he um, he kind of pulls Alistair aside again and says, I don't know what's... And yet we didn't end up asking uh, her about the, uh, the submarine thing. Um, I think we're probably best not to at the moment. No. Um, I don't even know if that, that could have just been like, as I said last night, I think I said last night, um, that could just be have been it trying to talk to us. But, I mean, mixed in with all the other stuff that's ended up being important, I feel like that submarine's weirdly important, so... I don't know if you see anything out there about that. Let me know. Alistair's clearly preoccupied in his own mind, but he's listening. He's just not all there, and then he just nods. Yeah. And Ernest walks away feeling very happy to be out of the hospital. <laughs> all right, you split up into your two different teams. Come on, Nance, let's go. <laughs> Randy goes for the, the driver's side, but <laughs> Nancy locks the car. Oh, come on. All right, riding right. shotgun, that's fine. I can do that. I can deal with that. That's good, Randy. By that stage, Ernest has gotten into the shotgun side. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but in the back, Randy, it's all right. He just glares at Ernest. What are you doing? What? What are you? Get it. That's my seat. That's mine. That's mine. (laughs) And he like, (laughs) as he's he's climbing into the back seat. (laughs) I always sit there. Um, Messing up the system. I don't know which way is north and south now. <laughs> I'm thrown off. I'll get sick. I always get sick in the back. Nancy, you know this. Uh, Nancy uh, passes the large gets, cup back to him. Gets into the car. She closes the door. Goes, seatbelts, everyone. Seatbelts. Buckles you all up. Uh, she turns on the stereo. It's Abba. She's like, okay. The devil's music. Randy, you know how I feel about you saying that. I'm sorry. He, sh- he, he shuts up now. <laughs> All right, let's get going. Uh, and she pulls out of the car park and that leaves Bernie and Alistair uh, in the car park watching them go. And Bernie says, it's a good feeling. And then he goes and gets in the car. Speak for yourself. I, I was. <laughs> All right. Being away from Randy. <laughs> <laughs> Both police cars pull out of the hospital car park and we pull back from them as they head in opposite directions. Bernie and Alistair heading north towards uh, the tip of Hookbar Island and Ernest, Randy and Nancy heading south towards Hon Caves. Dark Tides is Chester Lydon as Ernest Marsh, BJ Ingate as Alistair Stern, and me, Aubrey Lydon, as your host and narrator. If you enjoy our show, please rate and review us on iTunes and recommend us to your friends and family. Uh, We would very much like to gain new listeners and to hear feedback from you about what you like, what you don't like. Um, Maybe you don't like Randy. I don't think anyone likes Randy. Anyway, uh, you can give us a shout-out and talk to us on social media. You can check out our Patreon at patreon.com darktides where we have a pile of bonus content available. 
Uh, this includes our after show chat with the cast. This is called Breaking Tides. There's a community Discord server and a heap of other stuff, as well as a few special bonus episodes. Uh, you can get news and updates and chat to us on Twitter at twitter.com slash darktidespod and Facebook at facebook.com slash darktidespod. We also have a Reddit now at r slash darktides. We will see you in one week. Yeah. One whole week. Yeah. Wow. We'll s- wow. 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 We will see you in one week with the next installment. So until then, stay safe. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Goodbye.